actor. What are you thinking? What about the actor? What is he? What is the he thinking? The way you move your body is, must be like one with the stage. Hmm. Hmm. Ernest Wiggins. Thank you, Ernest. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hate us. Uh, I'm so glad that that may or may not make the final cut. <laughs> Depending on uh, the level of it. Okay. Hello again. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fast Past, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, I'm Megan. And I'm Jason. We hope you enjoyed our month of assassinations. Boom, pow, cyanide. Best line I've ever written. As much as we <laughs> did. <laughs> but now the format of the show is going to be a little different from here on out. So before we talk about our topic for the day, we're quickly going to do a breakdown. So basically, we tried to sum up all of history into 12 topics. Political figures, military battles, military generals, religious figures, regular people, civilizations, women in history, non-European descent peoples, uh, artistic moments, people, etc., crimes against humanity, technological advances, and tragedies. Then we put all the topics into a hat and decide what we would do for that topic. So (laughs) we take those 12 topics, put them in a hat, and then pull them out one at a time, decide what we would do for the topic, and then each episode, one of us does the research on the episode and pretty much teaches the other one about it. So we're all learning. Yay. It ended up that way for part of the assassination month, and we loved it so much we're going to keep it that way. Every now and again, we'll have specials like our Woodstock special. So things are going to be pretty much random is what we're getting out, unless it's an important month like Black History Month, Women's History Month, LGBTQ Pride Month, and then we'll do like a month of that history. But... For today, we picked out of the hat, religious figure. I did leave a little Easter egg in our last week's episode about who it would be. Can yep. anyone guess? Can you? Yeah. <laughs> it's King Henry VIII. Woot. My dad wanted me to mention that there is, in fact, a song after King Henry VIII that he knew from his childhood. But I feel like if I sing any part of it, I'll get copywritten, so I'm not going to. But look it up. Personally, when someone says his name, I immediately think, divorced, beheaded, died divorce beheaded survived the one thing i remember about english history in uh, any of our history classes is that line yes that line specifically i'm telling you uh but since he's under a religious figure we'll focus more on that and less on the amount of wives he had but they do play an important part on the whole religious figure bit so king henry viii's religious contribution to history was creating the church of england and becoming the most controversial separation from the catholic church in all of history So here we go. King Henry VIII was born in Greenwich, England on June 28, 1491, making him a cancer. Probably not relevant, but I'm mentioning it. Mentioning it. What? Mentioning it. Anemonemony. I'm mentioning it anyway. He was King Henry VII's second son. His older brother, Arthur, was supposed to take the throne when he was old enough. He was the one who was meant to have it. So while Arthur prepared himself to become king of England like his dad, Henry looked more toward the church career. His education included theology, music, languages, poetry, and sport, which is pretty much the typical Renaissance education. Now, Arthur had been betrothed since he was two years old to Catherine of Aragon, the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella. Uh, does that sound familiar, 21? Hmm. So you're telling me. Mm-hmm. A couple years after your boy pops out the womb. Yes. He's Already got a wifey. Yeah. From another country. Yeah. Who doesn't speak his language. Probably. And the parents of said wifey sent fuckboy Chris out to find a shortcut to India in 1492. 
Correct. They are the ones who started, I guess, America, essentially. Thanks. We we really, really appreciate that. So in fifteen <laughs> <laughs> So in fifteen oh one, Arthur and Catherine were married. Henry attended, he was ten years old at the time. As tradition, after the wedding, Arthur and Catherine went to Wales to live because Arthur's official title was Arthur Prince of Wales. 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 Now this is all good and well, but only four months after the wedding, Arthur died of a quote sudden illness. I think she killed him. <laughs> with Arthur out of the picture, Henry had to step up, and by step up, in this case, it meant getting engaged to his brother's widow and taking the place of the future king of England. I think she's going to kill him, too. <laughs> My God. No, <laughs> no, you'll see. It's the other way around. Oh. <laughs> now, getting to the whole betrothal part was not easy. First, Henry had to get approval from Catherine's parents, Ferdinand and Isabella. They signed a treaty saying they would allow the marriage... But until that time, Catherine would send 1,000 crowns worth of gold as a wedding gift, and Henry would pay Catherine's dowry. 100,000 crowns? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, no, they were, money. They, were, they were rich. They took all of the Mexica's gold. Ah, yes. The royalty sent crowns. Uh, sorry. I'm done. Uh, bad joke. Bad <laughs> Not joke. only did her parents get involved, but also the church. I mean, Henry was marrying his dead brother's wife. And according to the Bible, this was a no-go due to a passage in Leviticus. The Pope eventually allowed the marriage to go through, and he was approved for marrying Catherine of Aragon. Yay. Ooh. The marriage didn't happen right away, though. Spain was slow on sending the crowns and gold, and King Henry VII was slow on his part arranging it as well. None of it got done until King Henry VII died, and King Henry VIII took the throne when he was just 17 years old. Henry and Catherine finally married on June 11, 1509, he inherited quite a bit of money from his father, 1.5 million pounds to be exact. Okay, hold on. Let me just uh, calculate that. Do some do some quick maths and tap to tap 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 tap. Um, so accounting for inflation, that would be one trillion nine hundred seventy-eight billion eight hundred forty-four million three hundred eighty-two thousand three hundred fifty-six pounds and forty-one pence. Wow. With the average inflation of being like 1.4% a year. I mean, 1.4% a year versus like how many? That's a lot of percent. That's a lot of percent. Um, it was said that Henry brought youth and vigor to the court, uh, but that he was also, he wanted glory beyond hunting and jousting. He wanted war. Of course. Catherine gave birth to their first child, Henry, in January of 1511. This child died two months later. The first of many disappointments in this department. How did Henry deal with the pain of losing a child, you might ask? War. Oh, of course he does. It sound, it's very festive. It very is. Very festive. Henry went to war against France, hoping to be like his ancestor Edward III and Henry V. While he was attacking France, James IV, his brother-in-law, decided to attack England. He was held off by Thomas Howard, an earl in England. Uh, this was one of three separate wars he fought with France in his early reign. Three wars in his early reign. Yeah. The wars with France had to do with an alliance uh, with his father-in-law, King Ferdinand of Aragon. In 1513, the British laid siege to... Oh, God. Thoroughan? Near St. St. Omer. Omer. And Henry defeated the French uh, unit in the Battle of Guinea Gate? Yeah, let's yeah. go with the Battle of Guinea Gate. Battle of Guinea Gate, also called the Battle of the Spurs, the one I can pronounce. 
He also campaigned in Picardy, aligned with the Holy Roman Emperor Ch- Charles V against the French King Francois, Francois the first in 15, I mean, from 1516 to 1521. Now, fun fact about him and the French king. So according to the records, Henry was very strong and partook in a lot of sports. In 1520, during the war, King Henry and King Francois met in order to cement an alliance between the two while enjoying sports. Well, one thing led to another and they started wrestling each other. Now, Francois was much smaller than Henry, but nonetheless, Henry was thrown to the ground and Francois won that match. Now, there is legitimately, I will say this, no source that can prove that this actually happened, but it is said that Henry's loss was part of the reason that relations between the two nations suffered. He was a sore loser. It's okay, because France got in another war with the Holy Roman Empire in 1521 to 1526. Henry also invested in the navy a lot. He increased the size from 5 to 53 ships. That was pretty much the first half of his reign. So, how are you an island nation that didn't have a navy beforehand. There's a landlocked country in South America. I think it's Bolivia. Yeah. And they have a navy. They're landlocked. They have a navy. But England, the island, had five ships. I, I don't understand. I don't get it. But now they have 53, so... Progress. 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 Now, the second half of his reign was dominated by succession and the Protestant Reformation, which led to the Church of England. Woo. Now... The only thing more important than showing the whole world that you can kill everyone is having a security deposit on your throne via a child. Now, Henry's line was not very long. His dad was the first one to acquire the throne, so he was anxious to keep his line going through a son. Okay. Catherine had had three sons and three daughters in their years together, so life was good. Except all but one of those children died in infancy, and oh. the child that lived was a girl. She mm. was named Mary, born in 1516. Henry was sonless. Not good. So a setback in his life, but, you know, he was still thriving. The sun never sets on the British Empire and all. Except he wasn't thriving at all. He was a mess. He was anxious about not being able to produce an heir. Catherine was nearing 40, and he was growing desperate for a son. So, believing that Catherine could and would not produce an heir, he ran to the Pope for help. Now, it is important to know that he actually did have an illegitimate son that survived, so that's probably why he thought Catherine was the problem. He also thought that it was Catherine's fault because of the Old Testament ban on marrying the widow of one's brother, Ah. which he did. Basically, it was literally all Catherine's fault this guy. It didn't hurt that Henry had also fallen in love with Anne Boleyn, the sister of one of his many, many mistresses. Of course. So he went to the Pope to persuade him to grant an annulment to the marriage on the grounds that it had never been legal in the first place. Interesting. It is important to know that before this, the Pope and King Henry VIII... They were thick as thieves. I mean, this man issued a book-length attack on Martin Luther's church reforms that earned him the title of, quote, Defender of the Faith from the Pope. So you would think that the Pope would have granted this request for an annulment. The Pope had granted plenty of annulments in his life, but he did not grant this one. Why? Well, um, because he had specifically granted a license to marry his brother's widow. He already did a favor for King Henry VIII. He did not want to go back on his license. Mm. Henry was obviously not happy about this, and he sent Thomas Wolsey. Wolsey? Wolsey? Wolsey. 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 (laughs) Wolsey. To try and get the Pope to say yes. Thomas Wolsey was the man who built Hampton Court and eventually became a cardinal, but even he could not secure an agreement from the Pope. Henry IV dismissed Wolsey after his failure and uh, had him arrested. He died before he was brought to trial. He was a true friend of the king, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Since yeah. Uh, going to the papacy had failed, 
Thomas Cromwell, Wolsey's successor, went to Parliament to plead his case. He succeeded, of yeah. course. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, Parliament oh. passed a series of acts that cut back on papal power and influence in England, which brought about the English Reformation. Interesting. In 1533, Cramer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is the highest office of the Church of England, declared Henry's marriage to Catherine as invalid. Whoa. Anne Boleyn was crowned queen a week later. Yeah, the Pope was pissed about this and excommunicated them. Pause. Henry, Henry and Catherine of Aragon or just or just England like as as a whole? I think just England. Like parliamentary, parliamentary legislation was enacted, uh, which is Henry's formal break from the church. So I would assume that anyone involved is just... No go. Ah, understood, uh, understood. Yeah, an act was passed restraining appeals to Rome, stating that England was an empire governed by one supreme head and king who possessed, quote, whole and entire authority within the realm and had no judgments or excommunications from Rome that were valid. So this is just a really bad breakup. It's like that one ex that you literally never speak to or see again, but you go on hating each other. That, that was England and Rome. Oof. An act of submission of the clergy and an act of succession followed, along with an act of supremacy in 1534, which recognized that the king was the only supreme head of the Church of England called... Jason, help me. Anglicana Ecclesia. Beautiful. Ecclesia. Yes. Yes. Once the break happened, people were forced to choose sides. Prior to the Reformation and the creation of the Church of England, there was no hostility towards the church. England didn't really pay attention to the Reformation happening in the rest of Europe started by Martin Luther. Yet, there were people who were loyal to the Catholic Church, and there were consequences for their disloyalty to the Church of England. Mm. Most famously, Sir Thomas More, who wrote Utopia, which is a really interesting and kind of fucked up book on the perfect country. He chose Rome and was executed for treason in 1535. Not great to follow the supreme head, uh, what? Not great to go against the supreme head of the Church? Thank you. Yeah, Uh, I mean... But if you think about it, Rome was the ideal society. If you don't like somebody, you burn them down. Uh, I mean, all roads lead to the city on fire. Uh, Rome was the gold and red standard. Gold taken from all of their wars and red from fire and blood and... Okay, yeah, no, maybe Rome wasn't the best. Yeah, another thing that happened was uh, the dissolution of monasteries where the lands were broken up and sold off. The church, uh, I mean, the crown revenues doubled for a few years off the sales from the church's property. Hmm. Now, back to some family drama. Anne Boleyn. She was supposed to be worth all the stress and the Church of England's formation. She gave birth to another girl. Uh, Princess Elizabeth. So close. What did she fail at? Producing a male heir. What did King Henry VIII do when she disappointed him? Hint. It is in sort of war with France. Which is surprising. It is, um... Off with her head. Thank you. Was the option. Yeah, the easiest way to get rid of disappointments is to kill them, I guess. Henry got rid of her on charges of treason, which were most certainly fake, and she was executed in 1536. Just that next year, in 1537, Henry's third wife, Jane Seymour, finally gave Henry what he'd been searching for, a son. Cue the Lion King intro. Huzzah! Sure. Uh, Jane... I, I don't want. I don't, I, I don't know if we're gonna get copyright striked for that one, oh, so I'm up, just gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Jane died after childbirth, just 12 days after her son Edward the Sixth was born. He was to become England's next ruler. So finally, this dude can stop getting married and 
having them end in tragedy. Yeah, not so fast. Damn it. He also married Anne of Cleves. That was short-lived. He divorced her. Then he married Catherine Howard, who he had executed on the grounds of adultery in 1542. And finally, there was Catherine Parr, who survived Henry literally because she survived him. He died in 1548. He didn't have time to behead her. So, yeah, that that seems about on par with his relationships. But I'm... <laughs> now, before we move on with the story, I figured it would be useful to know uh, just what being a part of the Church of England entailed. What were the rules? What made this different from Catholicism in Rome? Well, the Church of England is a primary state uh, church in England where the concept of state and church are linked, unlike in America. Well... Uh, they're not supposed to be linked in America. Okay, there we go. It is considered the original church of the Anglican Communion, which represents over 85 million people in over 165 different countries. It upholds many traditions of the Roman Catholicism, but it's considered one of the most progressive sects of Christianity and is known for their relative liberal policies like allowing the ordination of women and gay priests. Good for them. I'm going to end this portion of King Henry VIII with his only son, Edward VI because he's still important to the church. Now, Edward was born October 2nd. Nope. Edward was born October 12th, 1537 at Hampton Court Palace. He became king at the young age of nine years old when his father died. Henry VIII, before his death, had arranged that a council of regency should rule on his behalf because he was nine freaking years old. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Edward's uncle, Edward Seymour, Duke of Somerset, took power and established himself as the protector. Again, a pretty typical thing to do when a king is so young. He and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cramer, Cranmer, were intent on making England a truly Protestant state, which was supported by Henry. I mean, what? Which was supported by Edward VI. Okay. They issued a English prayer book in 1549 and an act to enforce it. Yet things did not go so well for them. Oh. Uh, there was a peasant revolt that started the summer of that same year against this prayer book. And at the same time, France declared war on England. So in comes in John Dudley, later Duke of Northumberland, hmm. who took down Edward of Somerset and executed him. He then became the protector. Wonderful. Which was good for Protestantism because uh, a new prayer book was issued in 1552 and it was super Protestant. Altars were turned into tables. Religious imagery was destroyed, and religious orthodoxy was enforced by a new and more stringent rule of acts of uniformity. Yay, Protestantism. But what happened to Edward? He hadn't even really gotten to rule himself yet. Yeah, and he never did. It became clear that he was suffering, suffering from a bout of tuberculosis. Again, more people <laughs> with tuberculosis. And would not live much longer. Dudley was determined... Uh, that his religion, religious reforms should not be undone, so he persuaded the young king to approve a new order of succession. This new order declared Mary, his sister, illegitimate and passed the throne on to Dudley's daughter-in-law, Lady Jane Grey, who was very, very distant descendant of King Henry VIII. Edward VI died on July 6, 1553. And that's how and why King Henry VIII is considered and known as a religious figure. And the rest, at least for now, is history. Uh, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, if you like what I do, come check me out on Inside the Gamer Stronghold. Those episodes can be found on Podbean, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. If you like what I do, come check out my YouTube page and Instagram page uh, at Makeup by Meg T. 
Uh, also, come check out FastPass Twitter account at FastPass1. For any requests uh, for future episodes, please email us at FastPassPodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.